G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you look at the news headlines, you can tell, especially places like the Middle East, where things have been out of control when it comes to some elements that are associated with the religion of Islam. Closer to home, we've had a focus of recent times on places like Indonesia and the challenges that are being faced by Christians in Indonesia. But there's another nation to get a focus on today, a relatively near neighbour, and that's the nation of Malaysia, where there are some real challenges that are unfolding right now as we speak. Back with us today, Professor Peter Riddell, who is Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology, an expert on Islam and especially in the context of Southeast Asia. He's been published widely on the study of Southeast Asian Islam and Christian-Muslim relations. And Peter Riddell back with us again today. Hello, Peter. Welcome to 2020. Hello, Neil. Thank you. It's good to be back. Peter, you spend a lot of your time visiting nations in Southeast Asia. You were recently in Malaysia, and uh, you've got your finger on the pulse as to how things are beginning to unfold there. But uh, there is a certain sense in which not all things are uh, easy, not all things are right, and there is a rise of Islam uh, that's uh, impressing its, its strength and power upon the people in Malaysia. Yes, indeed, uh, Neil. Malaysia is an interesting case because, on the one hand, it's uh, it's a great country. I love visiting Malaysia. It's uh, one of the most fascinating countries to visit. Uh, it really represents a kind of meeting point of the three great civilizations, the Indians and the Chinese and the Malays. And so you would expect it to be a, a sort of test case, a sort of pioneering case of, of uh, pluralism. But uh, over the last 20-odd years, there's been, a, in fact, longer, there's been a really substantial program of Islamization pushed by the government, and it's uh, achieving a pretty big head of steam right at the moment with some events that are going on. And so there's a growing pressure amongst non-Muslims or minorities in Malaysia, because as I understand it, it's about 60% Islamic. So what sort of pressures are on non-Muslims? Yes, well, um, it is 60% Muslim, 40% non-Muslim. Um, and, you know, it's an Islamic majority, but only just an Islamic majority. Um, but within the Muslim uh, segment of the population, there's been a, a political tension between the two main Muslim parties for the last, uh, oh, gee, really 50 years. And um, they've really been trying to kind of out-Islamize each other. And so... Um, from the time of uh, Prime Minister Mahathir, uh, going back a few years now, he and his his government uh, introduced a raft of Islamic legislation back in the 80s and the 1990s and really started a, a train of Islamization, if you wish. And um, things are coming to a head now because um, while previously there have been some local state parliaments that have introduced Islamic criminal codes, now there's a suggestion that across the nation the federal parliament should bring in Islamic criminal uh, codes with some of the harshest punishments right across the nation and that's causing quite a stir. 
We'll talk some more about that, but tell me about Pastor Raymond Coe, who's a Protestant Christian minister, and uh, he's been the subject of uh, of a kidnapping, and uh, and there's some real challenges that are being faced uh, within the day-to-day life of Christian believers who are going about their normal activities. Yes, well, Pastor Raymond, Raymond Coe is a very, very prominent uh, figure in the uh, Christian community in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur and across the nation, actually. 62-year-old man. Um, he's associated with one of the largest churches in Malaysia, but uh, he has influence right across the Christian sector. Um, Christians constitute about 9% of the population. Anyway, um, on the 13th of February, Pastor Coe was, uh, was kidnapped very, very sadly. It was a, a very professional hit job. Uh, he was driving along in his car off to a private event and uh, he was surrounded by three um, three vans and a couple of uh, other cars and motorbikes and uh, they sort of edged, um, wedged him in and uh, kidnapped him and he hasn't been seen since, since the 13th of February. Now there's much concern for his welfare um, and there's been no word. Uh, his kidnappers have given no sign, have, have, have no demand for ransom. So his family and the whole Christian community are very, very concerned for his welfare. Uh, you're saying that it uh, it appears to be a well-planned operation, and when you've got leaders of a Christian church under this sort of tactic, it's almost an Im- intimidation. Do you think that is the primary purpose of a kidnapping like this? Yes, well, uh, look, it's very difficult to say. As you mentioned at the beginning, I was in Malaysia recently and I was interviewing quite a few people in Malaysia about a whole range of things and the question of Pastor Coe's kidnapping came up. And the bottom line is nobody really knows who's done it. Um, Nobody's willing to point the finger at uh, government or non-government. Nobody knows. Um, So clearly there's intimidation involved. Um, There's serious concerns for his welfare Um, because it was such a professional job there are all sorts of suspicions but until uh, some more time passes uh, it'll be very difficult to say who's responsible and all we can do is pray for his 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 welfare and that he'll be released safety uh, safely you mentioned the former president mahatir and a drift towards now a more religious exclusivism, uh, which is Islamic. I imagine that President Mahathir was trying to keep a secular order, but there is a drift towards where Malaysia may be heading at the moment. How do you describe that drift? Uh, Well, it's really part of world events, actually. Um, During the latter part of the last, uh, the 80s and the 90s, Clearly, Islam emerged from being fairly um, dormant to becoming a really powerful force, as we've seen right across the world. Uh, you know, it's often called the Islamic resurgence. Now, communities like Malaysia are caught up in that. And really, as populations became, as Muslim communities became more and more aware of their Islamic identity, then governments tried to cap- capitalise on that, and opposition parties tried to capitalise on that. So... Sensing this mood of popular increased Islamic fervour, um, the opposition party in Malaysia became more Islamic. It proposed more Islamic laws in the states that it controlled. And in response, the government under Prime Minister Mahathir, they felt that they also needed to be more and more Islamic. And so what we've witnessed over the last uh, 30 years or so is this spiral of 
increased Islamization in legislation, in the bureaucracy, in um, different different forms of, of society and politics. And it's uh, had a major effect and caused major concern among non-Muslims. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. A focus today on what's happening with a rising Islam in one of our near neighbours in Southeast Asia. We're talking about the nation of Malaysia. Professor Peter Riddell is our guest. He's Vice Principal at the Melbourne School of Theology and expert in the context of Islam when it comes to Southeast Asia. We're back with more in just a short while. We're taking a little time to get some insight into what's happening in a nation we don't often talk about, and that is one of our near neighbours, the nation of Malaysia, where there is a rising Islamic fundamentalism which is causing great consternation, especially for minorities and extra especially for the Christians in Malaysia. Our special guest talking through these issues, Professor Peter Riddell is Vice Principal Academic at the Melbourne School of Theology and expert on Islam in the context of Southeast Asia. Peter, as we were talking about a gradualism, a move towards an Islamic strength and an Islamic bureaucracy. Now, when you've got things like Islamic banks and Islamic economic foundation, I imagine all of these extra Islamic foundations for social welfare or an Islamic centre with the Prime Minister's Department, all of these gradual introduced aspects of Islamic life eventually get to a point where there's real power in the way that they force themselves upon a nation. Yes, that's absolutely right, Neil. And in fact, another case would be we could look at Pakistan as well on another occasion. But but what's happened in a country like Malaysia and Pakistan is that you've had a a kind of pioneering set of politicians who've decided for whatever reason to initiate a set of um, Islamic agencies, uh, be they banks or be they uh, foundations of various forms, be they uh, segments within existing departments. And before you know it, you you have an Islamic bureaucracy whose very existence is based on the continuing Islamization process. And if Islamization slows down, then the bureaucracy is threatened. So you end up with an Islamic bureaucracy in the case of Malaysia that in some ways is calling the shots. Um, So from the early days when the politicians were driving the show, uh, we have a point now where really the Islamic bureaucracy, uh, the Department of Islamic Development within the Prime Minister Department is a powerful, powerful agency and it is having a profound effect on the direction that the whole country is moving. And sometimes it's referred to as a creeping Islamization. Does the creeping, in your opinion, Peter, start slow? And then it picks up momentum. And before you know it, uh, you're under intense pressure to conform. Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts with small steps. um, And uh, we could see examples of that in the introduction of Islamic uh, legislation, for example, and the implementation of Islamic law. It usually starts in small quantities, usually with assurances that nobody need be concerned. These are only a few small steps and they only affect uh, Muslim people and don't affect non-Muslim people. And before you know it, uh, they, they become more and more profound and more and more prominent and affecting more and more people. So, yes, I think creeping uh, Islamization, creeping Sharia is a very appropriate uh, term to use. And when you get Sharia law operating alongside a, a constitutional 
government, then you've got real challenges because one law is opposed to the other and, uh, and not necessarily seen as, as being inferior. And so, therefore, uh, the Sharia law becomes uh, the dominating uh, law. Is that the way that works? Well, indeed, and this is one of the um, one of the arguments that's been offered by the opponents to creeping Sharia in Malaysia, many of whom are Muslims, I would add, um, namely that um, as Islamic courts exist alongside civil courts, and as there there are Islamic laws that exist alongside civil laws, then more and more clashes between the two legal systems emerge, and you end up with a with a dual system. Now, when you have a dual system of law in a, in a country, that can be quite uh, problematic for the overall functioning of the country. It can create dysfunction in the country, in the country's legal system. And um, uh, I would add, incidentally, that the push for elements of Sharia law in Western countries um, is, uh, poses the same problem. Uh, we, we've had this conversation in Australia and in Britain as well. So, yeah, that, that idea of a dual legal system where two systems are existing side by side is problematic at its very heart. Is it the case that when you've got this creeping Islamization, you've got Sharia law operating alongside the civil law of a nation which has its own constitution, uh, that you get a uh, not a harmony anymore but a disharmony? You get this sort of idea of uh, those who feel like they are the ones who are in control. I'm talking about people who uh, want to operate under Sharia law, uh, bring about an intimidation and, and the humiliation of, of the non-Muslim population. Is that the way that unfolds? Yes, it is. And it does cause a disharmony um, where, whereby um, those, uh, especially non-Muslims who are in, involved in interactions with government, feel that they are marginalised. Um, and in my recent interviews in Malaysia with leading uh, Christian figures, one of the messages that came through loud and loud and clear was that in their dealings with government, they felt as if they were being treated as second-class citizens. They were being not shown as much uh, respect. They were not given the space to express their faith position as was uh, enjoyed by by Muslims. So disharmony is a result, and that eventually leads to one of the systems asserting itself over the other. Now, typically, what happens in such cases is that the Islamic legal system asserts itself over the civil legal system, and little by little, that's what we're seeing in Malaysia and Pakistan, for example. And what does that look like in practice? Uh, Because uh, I think there's the case of a couple who were kissing and hugging in a park, uh, and then there's the the greater extent to what Sharia law brings, uh, death for people who are apostate, and uh, different, uh, different levels of of intimidation, but all certainly very scary. In Malaysia, with this push for uh, Islamic criminal codes being brought in, one of the uh, statements that's been made repeatedly by the Muslims who are pushing it is that non-Muslims need not worry, it won't affect them, it's just the Muslims. But realistically, it doesn't work like that at all. And when you have Islamic criminal codes in place, inevitably it affects non-Muslims as well. Now, um, some of the stories that I've written about recently don't involve some of the more uh, ha- some of the harsher aspects of criminal law. But for example, um, there was a case where a, a couple was arrested, a non-Muslim couple. They were arrested for hugging and kissing in a park. Now they were breaking laws which had been set for Muslims, but they were deemed to have uh, to be guilty as well. 
Uh, there's another case where a woman, went, a non-Muslim woman, went into a government department that was staffed entirely by by Muslim staff, and she was made to um, add on some clothes because she was deemed not to be dressed suitably in an Islamic context. So inevitably, non-Muslims are caught up in these kinds of pushes for Islamic legislation. So you've got this rise of Islam, the strengthening of Sharia law. Are there any bright spots on the horizon, uh, some positives that you can take from things that are happening uh, in Malaysia? Is there an uprising against what people can obviously uh, see as something that's quite threatening? Well, there are a couple of things really that uh, give me cause for optimism. One is that... um, Malaysia, of course, is a country that's spread across the peninsula in the west and the Borneo states in the east, Rawak and Sabah. And what's happening is that um, you're getting strong opposition to the push for Islamic law from right across Malaysia, from uh, non-Muslim groups, um, some non-Muslim groups which have not necessarily been particularly united in the past, but they are coming together to oppose it. But also, um, there is there are many, many Muslims who are concerned by this push for increasingly conservative Islamic legislation. And there are some encouraging partnerships that are, that are happening between um, uh, non-Muslim opposition groups and Muslim opposition groups to stand, in, in, uh, to stand against this drift towards creeping Sharia. Uh, so I'm encouraged by that. Uh, and it just remains to be seen how it all pans out. And is it something that we're seeing much more regularly in countries that have had an Islamic population, really, that hasn't had the same sort of strength that we're seeing in the Middle East, but there is this rising Islam and there is this creeping Sharia, this creeping way of of the ultimate goal of perhaps taking over? Uh, Is this happening more and more in Southeast Asian countries? Uh, well, it is. Um, in, in Malaysia, as I say, a member of federal parliament will be bringing forward a bill proposing the introduction of, um, of, of or the expansion of the powers of Sharia courts. That will happen in Malaysia, in Brunei. Uh, Brunei, one of the most prosperous nations on earth, uh, announced a couple of years ago that it was going to be introducing Sharia law as its law of the land uh, in stages between 2014 and 2020, thereabouts. Uh, In Indonesia, there are groups pushing for the expanded role of Sharia. And closer to home, um, in countries where you have Muslim communities, the, the, the... it doesn't take much for Muslim, some, some members of Muslim communities to be asking for aspects of Sharia to be practiced within their community in terms of family law and so forth. I see that as the beginning of a very slippery slope. And it is a space that we'll monitor along and really appreciate your insights, uh, Peter Riddell. Professor Peter Riddell, our guest, is Vice Principal at the Melbourne School of Theology. Uh, You could uh, drop a note to Peter and make contact uh, through the website at the Melbourne School of Theology, mst.edu.au. Peter Riddell is an expert on Islam in the context of Southeast Asia. And Peter, thanks so much for taking some time to update us on what's happening in the the nation of Malaysia. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.